follow up from last Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. We had a great Sunday together. It, uh, there's something about Easter Sunday that is uh, just so celebrative, you know, and love to have another round of that. I mean, you know, someone said, you know, we devote a whole season to, to, to Christmas. Why do we just devote a day to Easter? Um, well, you know, the resurrection of Jesus really is not the final act. Uh, it, it's not like, you know, there was, uh, um, you know, the, the passion of Christ and and then, you know, if you will, he rises from the dead and, and really then he takes his victory bow and the, and the curtain drops and end of the story. Um, certainly the resurrection of Jesus was a triumphant end to the crucifixion, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ was really the beginning of a new chapter in that great and glorious story of redemption. I don't know about you, you ever, <clears throat> ever entered like a new chapter of your life? You know, maybe it was, you can think back, maybe it was that, that first day in a new school, um, you know, or perhaps it's the first day on a new job. Uh, you can think through uh, just all of that, and, or maybe it, was, maybe it was when you brought home your first baby from the hospital. Um, it could be, as many of you have experienced when that loved one is gone, sort of marks a, a first, uh, if you will, it marks a new chapter. And in those new chapters in life, it, it takes a while to figure things out. You know, like, now what? Well, that's sort of where the disciples were. On the heels of the, of the crucifixion of Christ, and, and even, even as... Resurrection has happened, and they, and they have seen the resurrected Lord. We, we really find them in a, in a period of, now what? <laughs> you know, where's this, where's this all going? And, and how do we fit into all of this? And so the resurrection really was not the final, the final act in the story, and the curtain has come down. Uh, we're entering a new chapter. And we begin to get glimpses of that even as we look at a little bit of the post-resurrection activity of Jesus Christ. Little glimpses as he is as he's helping his disciples who are just a bit uncertain as to what all this means. John chapter 21 is one of those accounts. And if you'd like to open in your Bible to John chapter 21, We'll just take a scan uh, at it because it actually takes us back to another time in the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Uh, John, of course, who authors this, was an eyewitness to all these. He was there. He was there. John 21, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples. So after what things? Well, all that's transpired in those immediate chapters, the, the, the passion of Christ, and even, even some of those initial resurrection appearances. There was a 40-day period of time uh, from the time when Jesus was raised from the dead to when Jesus ascended. And it's interesting, you know, in those, there'd been three years when Jesus had been together with his disciples. I mean, they had pretty much been there uh, together all that time, and, and then there's crucifixion, 
and then there's been resurrection, but Jesus isn't there in the same way. He, but, but, but what he continues to do in that period of about a month and a half is he continues, and the language of John is very specific, he continues to reveal himself to his disciples. John, John doesn't use the language that just says he's showing up, he's appearing. John says he's revealing himself to them. And it, and it happens in some rather random appearances. You know, it's like suddenly he appears and then suddenly he disappears. I don't know about you, that'd be a little unnerving. Okay, remember? We're, we're sometimes trying to put ourselves in their shoes. A little unnerving. And so he goes on, he says, uh, he shows himself again to the disciples at the, at the Sea of, of, of Tiberias. We're, we're told in, in verse 14, it was the third time that Jesus had done this. Uh, go back to chapter 20. You'll see that the first time John talks about that Jesus appeared to his disciples was the evening of the resurrection, that very night. And then we're told a few verses later that the next time was eight days later because one of the disciples was not there that first time. His name was Thomas, and Thomas was really skeptical to believe that they had actually seen the resurrected Jesus, and so Jesus appears eight days later again to his disciples, and Thomas is there and sees and believes. And so here in chapter 21, John says, this is the third time. This is the third time. At the Sea of Tiberias, that's Galilee. So we've moved north, okay? Crucifixion. Uh, burial, resurrection, all down in Jerusalem. We've moved, we've moved north, uh, which was home for these guys. This is where they came from, these followers of Jesus. And, and in fact, before Jesus even died, uh, or, or one, of, one of the messages that, that was given to them after Jesus was raised, he had sent word to his disciples that they were to go and meet him in Galilee. So This is where it all started. And I think that's helpful to try to figure out what's going on here in chapter 21. This is where it all began. Three years earlier, back there in Galilee. He says it was uh, Simon Peter. It was Thomas who was called the twin. It was Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John. And two others of his disciples were together. So so this is the core. All, all guys who originally came and, and had grown up and, and had been living and working in Galilee when they first met Jesus. And he goes on in verse 3. Simon Peter says to these guys, I'm going fishing. And uh, the others say, hey, we'll, we'll go with you. Yeah, let, let's go fishing. Let's go fishing. I mean, some of you are right there with them, right? You know, you don't quite know what to do, and there's, I guess, for, there's nothing like going fishing, right, to figure some things out in your life. Well, uh, this is probably not just a pleasure endeavor. Fishing was work. It was, it was occupation. And so let's go fishing. Now, there are some that, that suggest that this is an abandonment of these men of their calling by Jesus. I, I really believe that's reading too much into, into what's happening here. But it certainly indicates uncertainty as to what's next for them. In the meantime, until they can can sort of sort this out, they go back to what they knew. And that was fishing. In, in, In the gospel accounts, this is the first time they've gone back fishing since they left it at the beginning. 
And so John says, so they, uh, so they, they went out immediately and they got in the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Every fisherman's nightmare. Uh, they devote a whole night to it and they, they bring nothing in that night. Verse 4, but when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Now, that's interesting. That seems to keep happening in these post-resurrection appearances of Christ. I mean, sometimes he's there and, and yeah, that's him, but, but, but there's sometimes he's there and, and you would think that they would know him because, I mean, they've already seen him twice, but he's on the shore and they don't know it's Jesus. I mean, maybe it's Maybe it's the distance, you know. Maybe it was a little bit of a misty morning. Or it could be, once again, Jesus is just doing what he is doing and is sometimes withholding recognition. And so, there from the shore, verse 5, Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? Hey, guys, you caught anything yet? You got anything to eat? And uh, they answered him, No. And so Jesus offers, I guess, what any good fishing buddy would do. He offers some some fishing advice. He says, well, why don't you cast your net over there? Cast it on the right side. You know, you're here. Why don't you cast your net over there? You're going to find some fish. And some people read this. Well, they think, that's strange. Why would these guys take advice from a stranger who's standing on the shore? Well, I mean, why not try one more time before giving up? I mean, you've spent all night. What's wrong with lowering your nets one more time? Or, or, or maybe, you know, maybe the guy had seen something that they hadn't seen. So they cast their net in, and John says they weren't able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Down in verse 11, it says there was 153. Now, as you can imagine, anytime some people find numbers in the Bible, they go crazy over this. And they're looking for some hidden meaning in 153. So what does 153 mean? Well, it means that they'd never had a haul like this before. That's what it means. I mean, if you will, they're they're drawn in this this net, and it's filled. They've never seen anything like this before. It's like, guys, how many did we catch? Well, let me count. 153, which wouldn't be unusual, because if you have a team of fishermen working together, and they're making a livelihood, you know what they're going to do with the catch when they get home? They're going to divide it up. So someone's got to know. I think that's the mystery of 153. It was a lot. It was a lot. Then, as they draw in this hall, this huge amount of fish, verse 7, it's like the lights come on for John. John, of all of Jesus' followers, John was the first disciple to believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead. And something, if you will, the lights go on, and he says, it's the Lord. He recognizes him, and, 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 then, and then the other guys sort of snap to it. And Peter, the action man, Peter, he jumps overboard, swims 100 yards to shore while the other guys somehow get that boat in. They're dragging the net behind the boat because they couldn't even get the fish into the boat. And they make it into shore. And there they find uh, a, a little fire burning uh, and some, uh, some food ready for them. I, I just think this is a beautiful scene on a on a morning, you know, there by, there by the, the sea, a little fire going, a little food cooking, and, uh, and there's Jesus who invites them to come and enjoy the food, to, to enjoy what he had prepared for them. He says, hey, you got some fish? <laughs> Why don't you throw one on the fire? And then verse 12, really interesting, uh, really interesting, uh, where 
where it says this, um, none of them, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Apparently, in the language of John, apparently something inside them wanted to ask. <laughs> so can, can, you, can you sense the conflict? Someone inside them is wanting to ask, who are you? But on the other hand, they know. But who are you? But I know. But, well, who are you? You're Jesus. But, but who, who are you? Do, you? do you sense the uncertainty? Do, do you sense the, the, the surprise? They're, they're still figuring this out. I don't know about you. I have never stood in the presence of a physically resurrected person. Never. Now, you know, the disciples had, they had, they had seen Lazarus raised from the dead, but you know what they had not seen? They had never seen a person who died, who had been raised from the dead, and who was in their glorified body. That was Jesus. He's the first fruits of it all. They had never seen that, and neither have you or I. It, it's Jesus. It, it's, it's Jesus. I, they, they didn't dare to ask, but there's, there's this uncertainty. There's this uncertainty. They've never seen this before. As I was reading that story afresh this week, uh, John 21 is sort of a, a little bit of a deja vu. Okay, you know what that is. It's French for seen this before. <laughs> seen this before. I, I, as, I, as I think over the stories of Jesus, I, 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 in, in my mind's eye, I can see that, that time again when they, you know, they, they, they go fishing and they catch nothing. And then all of a sudden, they catch this huge, this huge haul. And, and so what that does, it sort of it backtracks us, if you will, a little, little bit of a flashback. Three years prior. The Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark and Luke all record fishing stories that serve, if you will, as the point of calling of Jesus when he invited these men to first follow him, way back at the beginning of his ministry. Matthew and Mark tell us that Jesus was up there in this region there of Galilee, and one day he saw Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting their nets into the sea. They were fishing. He goes a little farther down the shore, and he sees James and John, and they are there mending their fishing nets. <clears throat> and he says to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 5, he gives us a little bit more story that goes with that. It may be the same occasion. It may be a different occasion. But in Luke's account... We find Jesus is, is actually in, in Peter's fishing boat. Jesus had, had just preached a message from the boat because the crowds were so many, they were pressing in. He said to Peter, can I get in your boat? Just push away from the shore, and Jesus preaches the message. And, and when, the mission, when, the, when the message is done, uh, Jesus uh, says to him, hey, hey Peter, um, how, about we, how about you launch out? Why don't you launch out? Let's go fishing. Well, Peter says to him, Lord, we, we've toiled all night. And we've caught nothing. Sound familiar? But Peter says, you tell us to, to go fish, we'll go fish. Happens? Well, Luke says when they did this, when they launched out and they put down their net, they caught a great number of fish. Sound familiar? And we're told that they were astonished at the catch 
they had taken. And then on the heels of that, Jesus said to them, from now on, you will catch men. See, this was the call to follow Jesus. And the call to follow Jesus was an invitation to, in his language, catch people. See, Jesus' ministry marked the start of something new. He was was starting uh, to build a, a new community. And he started with fishermen. And he called them to become fishers of men. So in this post-resurrection appearance of Jesus in John chapter 21, after everything they'd been through, after all the heartache and, and betrayal and fleeing, all the uncertainty of what was next, if you will, Jesus is coming. He is reaffirming to them that commission. It's still an invitation to follow him and to become fishers of men. Begs the question, so what's Jesus talking about? Fishing for men, catching people. It can sound a little off-putting. I mean, how many of you would like to think that one of us is looking after you to see if we can't catch you? Go fishing for you. It can be a little off-putting. Well, Jesus used images from everyday life as he taught. He was always drawing on things that were going on around that people could see and hear and sense. He's by a lake in a fishing village with lots of busy fishermen, and he says, my mission's like that. When he was in a field where workers were harvesting grain, he said, my mission's like that. He talked about how a shepherd went looking for a lost sheep. He said, my mission's like that. One time he talked about how doctors treat sick people. And he said, my mission's like that. That, that was his method of, of, of teaching, his method of preaching. So, so if, you aren't, if you're here this morning and you're not keen on the idea of being fished for, of being caught, just take it for what it is. It's an illustration. It's an illustration. But what did Jesus mean by it? Well, Jesus himself had declared that his mission here on this earth was to seek and to save that which was lost. Whether it's catching fish, harvesting grain, tending sheep, or doctoring sick people, spiritually it's a search and rescue mission. And so here Jesus compares that to fishermen who go out looking for fish and they cast their nets to draw them in. He uses that as the illustration of this mission. It's tied into the idea of being lost. You know, when you're lost, you don't know where you are. And you don't know how to get to where you need to be. Maybe you've been there before just trying to find some place. Before the days of Google Maps, and you can just plug in you know, the address, and hopefully it'll give you a good address. I remember the days of having to look at maps, and if you didn't happen to have one on you, good luck. This is the human spiritual condition. We don't know where we are with reference to God. We don't know how to get to where we need to be in order to be right with God. 
We, we are, if you will, in, in our natural spiritual condition, we are lost as to who God is. Oh, we, we, might, we might create some images in our imaginations of what we imagine him to be, but we are lost as to who God is. We are lost when it comes to understanding our condition. We are lost to how to get it right. And the interesting thing is most people that I meet out and about don't think of themselves in this way. And maybe if you are here and you know Christ as Savior, perhaps especially if you came to know him a little bit later, you can remember a time in your life when you'd say, yeah, I was lost as lost could be. America is religious, but America is lost. I'm not talking morally. I'm not talking culturally. I'm talking spiritually. America is spiritually lost. Ross Duthit is a he's a New York Times columnist and he is the author of a book that was published in 2012 under the title Bad Religion How We Became a Nation of Heretics. And he observes in in, in that book that 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 while you know religious institutions and prim- primarily thinking churches have declined in America and that's true I mean, the the research and the surveys show that to be true. Church attendance is down. No religious affiliation is up. He says that while religious institutions have declined in America, religion has not declined in America. It's driving secularists crazy. Religion has not declined. He goes on and observes that Americans increasingly redefine Christianity as they see fit, rather than totally abandoning it. So that's why you can get such high percentages when you see, well, man, look at the number of look at the number of Americans who are Christian. Wow. Well, you don't realize how many of those have redefined what that even means. And and so they've they've redefined, some have redefined Christianity as endorsing about everything. There are others who have redefined Christianity as condemning about everything. He says, so, so you know, religious, uh, religion, he says, has not declined. Americans have redefined Christianity as they, say, as they see fit rather than totally abandoning it. We are, he says, neither a Christian nation nor a secular nation, but a nation of heretics. We're lost. We're lost. When Jesus commissioned his followers to catch men, it was to help people become unlost. It was to, if you will, going out to to, to catch men. It was to bring them under the authority and the lordship of Jesus Christ because where everything is headed is this. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so in these fishing stories, fishing for people, it's just a picture of seeking the lost. It's a picture of of, of interacting and finding people that don't know Jesus Christ. And if you will, the net that is cast is nothing other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
in the words of Christ himself. Repent and believe the gospel. See, in our natural condition, we're all lost. Every single one of us. We're all fish. We're all fish. The difference is that some of us have been caught and some of us have not. Some have believed the gospel and some have not. See, bringing people to Jesus is the heart of the Christian mission. That's the heart of the Christian mission. Bringing people to Jesus Christ. So I I just pause a minute. Have you come to Christ? Has, has, Has the net of the gospel of Jesus Christ, has it caught you? And have you been drawn to Christ? And have you confessed that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord? That is what the mission of the Christian is all about. So, the mission, I just call it the mission of fishing, okay? Jesus calls it fishing for men. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Just a couple things, and, and it was just some, some, some thoughts that came as I was, again, reading through these stories of, you know, see here in John 21, went back to, to Luke chapter 5, and, and just sort of read the story of Jesus uh, interacting there with those men, and went back to, to the account of, in, in Matthew and in Mark of how Jesus found these men and the circumstances and called them, and he followed them. And I just made a couple observations from watching and listening to Jesus as he interacted. So I, how do we go about this fishing mission? Well, number one, obvious thing I observed out there is you have to go where the fish are. You have to go where the fish are. If you want to fish, you got to find water, right? <laughs> At least I think that's the kind of fish I want to eat. That's where fish are. And, and so all the fishing stories happen up around the Sea of Galilee. Why? Well, man, that place was teeming with fish. And there were fishing villages all around the Sea of Galilee. You know, sometimes you read the life of Jesus and, and, and you'll read that Jesus would go to a solitary place, like a mountain. But he didn't do that when he was fishing for people. And and then you'll read sometimes when he went out into the wilderness. But he didn't do that when he was fishing for people. The Sea of Galilee was a great place to fish. Mountains and the wilderness, not so much so. If you want to fish, You go where there's water because that's where you'll find fish. And if you're going to fish for people, just simply this, you've got to go where you'll find people that don't know Jesus. I might be begging the obvious, but let's say it. If you want to fish, you've got to go where you'll find fish. To me, that was, as I meditated on that, it's, it's a warning against Christian isolationism. It's a warning against Christian ghettos where we wall ourselves in to keep the world out. You can't fish if you're not where there's fish. And if we're going to fish for people, we've got to go where the people are. The people are that, that are that are lost, the people that don't know Christ, the people that don't know his forgiveness, the people that don't understand these things yet. 
It's great for us to gather together. We need to gather together on the Lord's Day for these times of worship. We need to encourage each other in our faith. We need to sit under the instruction of the Word of God. But we always have to be careful of saying what we need is just a little more Christian fellowship together, just a little more time devoted to that. Because what happens is we begin to extract ourselves from the world. We begin to lose touch with people that don't know Jesus Christ. I'm very conscious of this in my own life. We've talked about it even as a staff on these things, how easy it is to just extract ourselves because we get, we get quite honestly, really busy with church work. There is enough, there's enough work around church to keep us busy in ministry all the time. And if we're not conscious and deliberate about it, we can be, you know, given the admonition to fish, but we're never around the water. And so we've been more deliberate, thinking through how do we get out of here? And, and you know, whether, again, walking in the neighborhood, interacting with people, it's springtime, they're going to be out. You know, so maybe it's a good time for you to be out. Finding a place to walk and to greet and to talk. Finding places of activity and interaction where we can be around people that do not know Jesus Christ. We need to get away from our televisions. We need to scoop back from the computer screen. Put the games away. Turn off Netflix. And get out and find people and be with people. Do not know Christ. And in, in the grace of God, the courage that he gives us, and if you will, the love and the adoration we have for Christ Not be afraid to talk to people about someone who died and who rose again from the dead. You have to go where the fish are. Second, you have to learn how to fish. You have to learn. Uh, These guys weren't born knowing how to fish. They grew up learning it. They were taught those things. It became a part of who they were, but they had to learn how to sail a boat they had to learn how to cast a net and draw it in. They had, to, they had to learn how to take care of and mend their nets. They learned that there were better times to go fishing than at other times. I would imagine they had to learn how to not scare the fish away. Jesus said to them when he called them, he said, follow me and I will, I will make you into something. I will make you to become fishers of men. Interesting, he doesn't say, I'll make you fish. He said, I'll make you a fisherman. There's a difference between going fishing and being a fisherman. And if you're a fisherman or a fisherwoman who's taken someone fishing who's not, you probably know what I'm talking about. Jesus took his followers, invited his followers, and he took them through a three-year training course that included formal sermons and dusty road dialogues and one-on-one late-night conversations with inquirers. And they, they heard Jesus and they watched him as he interacted literally with all kinds of people. And, and then Jesus sent his followers out for on-the-job training. What's interesting, though, is that even with that, you know, not too many days before, they had bailed on him and they'd run away. And, and here, John 21, Peter says, listen, I'm, I'm going to go back and fish for fish. Anyone else in? But Jesus keeps revealing himself to them. He keeps preparing them. 
And then there in John 21, if you will, he, he recommissions them in this fishing mission because soon he'll be gone. And then the Holy Spirit's going to come, and, and he is going to come with power, and they're going to go fishing for people, and they're going to change the world, and Peter's first catch will be 3,000. Amazing. How did that happen? Well, he learned from Jesus. He learned from Jesus. And he learned to draw on the same power that Jesus had, the power of the Spirit of God. Fishing for people doesn't necessarily come naturally. It's intimidating. Something we need to learn, something we need to become. But it seems to me that the more we hang out with Jesus, the more you'll have to say about him. The more you hang out with Jesus, the more wowed you are going to be by him. And the more to say. But we also need to be equipped. That's why Pastor John is offering evangelism class Sunday at 6. Not tonight, we've got a business meeting, but doing a class. And, and it's not that a class will fix everything for you, but it's about learning how. Learning how. You have to learn how to fish. Number three, if you're going to fish for people, you have to let go of fishing for fish so you can fish for people. We're told in, in, in Luke's gospel that uh, when they brought their boats in, it says that they forsook all and they followed Jesus. Matthew says they immediately left their nets and they followed him. Mark says that Jesus called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and they went after him. They're adopting a new vocation. How they had made a living before was fishing for fish. I mean, this was the family business. The family business. But now they're called to a new vocation, a higher vocation, which is reaching people. And this vocation was to drive everything else. Everything else. Not building the family business. That wasn't the highest calling. Not going and seeing how many fish they could get in any given day. Not that it was wrong for them to go fishing. That wasn't the highest calling. It was people. Now, Jesus doesn't call everyone to walk away from their current place of employment and follow him. He does for some people. But he does call his followers to the vocation of fishing for people to recognize that in any job you have, at any moment, there could be the opportunity to witness for Jesus Christ who is crucified, who is risen, and who is Lord of all. Any place you find yourself. You see, the mission of proclaiming Jesus isn't a task on a to-do list. It is a way of life. It's a way of life. That's what we mean when we talk about being missional. To be missional is to live your life on mission every day and in every situation. The vocation of every follower of Jesus is to draw other people to follow Jesus. The last thing that jumps out as I observe Jesus calling his followers and I read here is this number four. You have to be patient. You have to be patient. <laughs> Luke chapter five, we toiled all night and caught nothing. John 21.3, that night they caught nothing. And these guys knew how to fish. I have two fishing stories. I'm not a fisherman, I, but I do have two fishing stories. 
One of them is my very, very favorite. I mean, it was such a good fishing experience, I've remembered it my whole life. I was a kid, elementary age. We lived down in Maryland, and um, my dad was principal of of, of the Christian school there, and there was a a family in the school. We weren't that, where our school was, it was a pretty straight shot over the Chesapeake Bay, so we had people that lived over on the bay that would come to the the school. And so uh, this one man had invited my dad to bring my brother and I for a fishing outing. And so we, we drove over on a Saturday morning uh, over to the Chesapeake Bay, and we got on this beautiful, beautiful cabin cruiser and uh, cruised out into the Chesapeake Bay. And, and I remember that day, you know, they had, they had two fish, and we were, we were trolling for bluefish there in the Chesapeake Bay. And I remember, I think we caught, caught a couple. And then we went out a little bit farther, and then uh, he put the anchor down, and we, and we bottom fished. We were fishing for sunfish. And I am not exaggerating. I don't have, I do not have photographic evidence to prove this. Okay. You just have to take my word for it. Um, so we, we put our hooks down. We, we, we were putting two hooks down. We were in, with, with, with bait on each one. I was catching two at a time. And, and in hardly any time, I, I'm this little kid. I had caught over 20. I'd caught over 20. Man, you want to talk about, you want to talk about a great fishing outing. That was it. That was it. I wish that fishing for people was that easy. Well, then there's this other fishing story, you know, and so I'm a dad, and every dad needs to at least sometime take his boys fishing. So I remember taking uh, Jonathan and Joel fishing when they were, they were much younger. We went to one of the metro parks, and so we had our fishing poles and hooks and worms, and we went to one of the ponds there, and we caught nothing. I mean, Nothing. Uh, and I mean, this is how bad it was. Occasionally, you know, you're, you're there on the edge, and I, we'd see them. So we, we'd, put the, we'd put the bait. I'm serious. We would dangle it right over top of the fish, and, and we, we would bump the fish on its nose with the bait. And we caught nothing. Nothing. If you've witnessed, you've had that experience. The guys in... John 21 and Luke 5, they worked, they waited all night, and they caught nothing. It's frustrating as a fisherman, especially if your livelihood depends on it. But you know what's interesting? In both stories, we see the other extreme, where they they catch so many, they barely have the strength to haul it in. Fishing for people is like that. Sometimes, often, nothing. But, but, there are those times that happens. A haul like you never believe. See, we have to remember what God can do. In these stories, in these stories, every time it's Jesus who makes their fishing endeavor successful. He, he proves himself to be not just Lord of the harvest, but Lord of the haul. You know what is of first importance when it comes to catching fish? And I'm not speaking as an expert fisherman, but I am like really confident that this is a wise piece of counsel. You know what's of first importance when it comes to catching fish? It's not the perfect bait. It's not the perfect kind of hook. It's not the latest in net casting technology. It's not mastering the algorithms for the best fishing times. The most important thing is that you go fishing. That you go fishing. Of first importance in fishing for people is to go fishing. That you know 
and you love people who do not know Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus invites you this morning to follow him. So let his grace, let his forgiveness, let his authority capture you. The resurrection of Jesus invites you to become a fisher of people because the crucified, risen Jesus Christ is still the hope of the world. What my neighbor needs isn't my opinion on my politics. What my neighbor needs is not even my beliefs on all the moral issues being raised these days. What my neighbor needs is my Jesus, who died for my sins and theirs and who rose again. That's what they need. God, help us, I pray. Help us, I pray, to accept your invitation to come. If we've never come before, to come to Christ to come for his salvation, to bring ourselves under his mercy, under his grace, to accept his gracious salvation. God, this morning, help us to come. And Lord, I pray that we would would accept his invitation to follow him and to let him make us into fishers of men, to those who catch people, to those who who are on task and on mission with Christ to seek, to save the lost. And they can be found and they can be saved because Jesus died and rose again. So God, help us to see the opportunity around us. Help us, Lord, to make ourselves available and ready. Help us, Lord, to find those places of water this week where the fish are. Help us, Lord, to humbly come to your feet and learn from you. Help us, Lord, to hold other things in check that sometimes become more important to us. And help us, Lord, to persevere in the mission that you've given to us till Christ comes again. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.